playing Elden Ring again um, for like the third time, but I did something last night that was so immensely satisfying that I feel like I don't need to climb any great heights again in my life. I feel like this is the thing that I can I, I can use as my big dick energy throwing around, and that is I, I beat Margaret the Fell on my first try last night at around level 22, and that's I know that that is meaningless to so many people, uh, almost meaningless to myself. Is that that's the guy who guards the 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 entrance to Godric's castle, right? That's the guy. Yeah, that whose whole existence, on, whose only purpose in like game design is just to teach you you're not ready for you know you're not ready for what this game entails yet. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. Like about the intro to Elden Ring is. If you if you follow all the initial tips on exactly where to go, you will get to that guy within about thirty minutes of the game, and you will realize that that is uh, way too soon to, to see him at all. Uh, well, yeah, we'll 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 tell you where to go, gamer. Yeah, we'll do that. Don't you worry about it. I know. I am currently. I am. Uh, I am such a high level now in Elden Ring, and my weapon is so powerful. And there is still this this fucking like mini boss fucking duet in this one castle that I just cannot get around and it is so frustrating. I can beat basically any other area I go to I feel massively over leveled Mm -hmm. and I basically effortlessly or near effortlessly kill everyone but then like on the only major path that I haven't like really explored yet I just keep getting fucked up. It's really I don't know what to do. Except keep keep grinding, I guess. And, and since Kyle has said something uh, totally innocent that nonetheless speaks to the, the darkness in my heart about how all we have to do is to keep grinding because the terrible life will just keep beating us down and down and down. But hopefully we'll find fun, shiny things along the way. I guess you're listening to the Big Bang Theory Theory now. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And when we're not just talking about how much we've been playing Elden Ring, we sometimes watch this television show called The Big Bang Theory, and we have made it through six seasons and now three episodes of this show where we uh, we watch it, we, we talk about it, we try to talk about maybe what we like, we usually don't like it, and then we talk about things we actually enjoy. Uh, probably not Elden Ring since we already have done that uh, enough on this friggin' show already, but we'll see. It'll be a surprise for later. We'll see. Kyle. How do you feel about the episode? Is there anything you want to get into before I, I start just doing the plot summary? No, I will say without you can rate it. I'm not going to rate it. I'm not I, asking for ratings or not. General feelings, however, whatever you want, Kyle. I actually I like this one. Not I'm you know not my favorite episode of the show by any means, but uh, yeah, this one was fine. This one was good. I actually laughed a couple of times. Yeah, I feel like I so I was taking notes on this one and I realized at some point that I was actually having a little bit of difficulty keeping up with the scene changes and uh little character updates which was a good sign, I guess. A lot of stuff happened. Uh I don't know if I thought it was if I got as many laughs out of it as you, but we'll see. We'll see what happens here on uh, season 6, episode 3, officially titled The Higgs Boson Observation. So, well, actually, I guess it's mostly focused around Sheldon, but it begins with uh, Wallowitz is uh, having a video chat with Bernadette from his space station, and uh, 
he is getting the the space loonies. His he's got the big red rings around his eyes. He's losing his mind. He uh, asks Bernadette to drop a pencil, just so well doesn't specifically ask for a pencil. Asks her to drop anything so he can uh, see what it's like to experience gravity again. This is how much he's missing Earth. And uh, I thought it was going to get way hornier than it was, or at least implied. And I think that was the intention. I don't know. Either that, either that, or uh, God, I, I just need human touch again. But, no, no, no. It, obviously, part of the joke was that he gets a he gets a sexual satisfaction out of seeing things in gravity. This is true. Yeah, and I guess it's parroted later when uh, he has the same favor of Raj, and Raj is like, "Yeah, it got weird. I really, <laughs> it got uncomfortable at some point for sure." Um, so anyway, that's. That's not even really an A plot or a B plot. That's just what's happened in the Wallowitz in the background in this episode. Yeah, um, we need to. I I keep wondering if like there was some contractual thing or if he was making some movie or something that they had to like, you know, Skype him into each episode because like, they, yeah, maybe he's really been in space like for several episodes now, and all of and yet they like and each episode basically has scenes of him like, almost exclusively talking to Bernadette in, like, the space background. And they're fine. Like, they're funny jokes. I'm just surprised how many, like, different episodes they did about the, you know, the saga of Wallowitz in space. I wonder if maybe they had, they actually did use some sort of fancy set for the space stuff. And they're really trying to stretch that cost out. I don't know. They're like, we we got it for season six. This is our big set piece. We got to make it work. Uh, but yeah, it's they're not. It's not going anywhere. I was really hoping for a continuation of the space bullying, but yeah, uh, his coworkers are leaving him alone this time. Uh, Wallowitz coworkers, that is, uh, presumably because he's so horrifying. What with his space madness, and yeah. uh, just so we're not jumping. No, no, we all kn- we we all knew that kid in high school who there was a certain point where the, from the look in his eyes, you knew it wasn't really safe to bully him anymore. Yeah, yeah, the one who. Who, who takes it and takes it, but he gets quieter and quieter. And at some point you're like, wait a second. Is he still feeling anything? What's going on in there? He's just taking it. That's like, uh, this isn't going to, I think we, t- I think I may have recommended this a long time ago on the podcast, but my friend Dahmer. Yeah. And like the, the, uh, the perspective of watching Dahmer kind of like turn into the, the cold monster, like losing his humanity in those, those last couple of years of high school. Ah, Yeah. So anyway, that's that's how this show got a started feeling, I guess. Uh, and to keep from jumping back and forth, yeah, nothing really happens with Wallowitz except that Kyle, as you mentioned, it already feels like it's stretching out. And the only update here is that the uh, the capsule that was coming to to get them off the station has been delayed by at least a week. Uh, so he's he's going to be up there for at least another couple episodes. So anyway, Wallowitz background. That's what's going on. What's going on with him? What the the prime plot A of the episode here is Sheldon, um, inspired by uh, Nobel laureate Higgs, I suppose. Here, he, he realized that uh, at some point early in his career, Higgs had submitted this research that was not taken very seriously at the time, uh, only to I guess contemporaneously with this episode, maybe like ten years ago or. Well, probably longer than that. I don't know. Whenever it was rediscovered, they're like, oh, actually, yeah. this, no, this he was... he hypothesized the existence of the Higgs boson particle, yes. which is like, nobody knows what it is, but obviously it became 
so relevant. It's such a relevant concept that, like, despite the fact that neither one of us could explain how it's supposed to work, like, we both, I think anyone who's ever watched any show that has any kind of pseudoscientific babble in it will have heard the phrase his Higgs boson particle before. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. And, so, and, uh, and the only part of it I didn't know is apparently the first time he was like, maybe there's a Higgs boson particle. Everybody was like, you're, you're a fucking idiot. Yes. And so, but later it is discovered uh, that he actually had it right all along. And it was a huge revelation. Sheldon being inspired by this decides that he's going to have sent home all of his uh, childhood journals, which include scientific notebooks, uh, journals of his doo-doo habits, uh, just anything else we started writing from at least two or three and looking for uh, some sort of inspiration there. And in doing so, he realizes that he's going to need an intern to get all, through all this. And there is a scene of him uh, belittling both Leonard and Penny, d- doing so to Leonard by saying he is perfect uh, intern material and then uh, doing the opposite to Penny by uh, her reading the notebook for about three seconds before admitting that she's just a blonde monkey. Uh, So waka waka Sheldon makes everyone feel bad. Uh, But then what happens is he actually goes on to hire an intern, a grad student at the university, and she's a babe, which Sheldon characteristically does not even notice, doesn't care about. Uh, He is just cartoonishly demanding of her and cold. And uh, however, uh, Penny is still not sure how she's feeling about Leonard, uh, but sees that uh, the babe intern appears to be very uh, flirty with Leonard. And so, ah, she's full of jealous rage. And the A-plot basically wraps up with uh, the intern coming over to the the main apartment for for Sheldon work, legitimate intern purposes. Uh, But Penny uh, goes to intercept by saying, Leonard, hey, uh, I'm getting out of here so I can hump you a bunch because I don't like this redhead. Uh, so that's how that goes. Oh, her name is Alex, by the way, which there is like a half second of that like implied lie by omission betrayal where uh, Amy initially is concerned about the intern, whether whether she's going to try to seduce Sheldon because he's such a genius. Uh, and she's like, oh, Alex, she didn't mention it was a girl. Uh, I mean, Sheldon didn't mention it was a girl, and Penny's like, he probably didn't even notice, which is correct uh, on her part this time. Oh, and they uh, they fuck with uh, Raj a little bit because he actually uh, can't talk to ladies again. His his uh, selective mutism comes back, and there is a funny moment. Actually, I got a genuine laugh out of it where... Yes, me too. Yeah, they're all at the cafeteria, and intern does come to sit with them in spite of Sheldon uh, wanting <laughs> not to... To, to keep her at her appropriate station and to not let her uh, feel uh, in... Uh, I can't remember the exact way he put it, but like, what, it would be a, a harm to give them a taste of this life that they, they are never really going to know. Yes, he, he, have, makes, uh, he makes basically a Downton Abbey reference, which is like, you can't let the... You can't let the upstairs, you can't let the downstairs people eat upstairs. It'll break them to know how good we have it. Yes, exactly, before they go back to their own sooty little homes. It's, it's during that lunch that Leonard says, Oh, hey, uh, you're into such and such specific field. Hey, so is our friend Raj here, and he would love to tell you all about it. Where Raj just silently stares her down for a moment before he takes his tray, gets up, moves to the table uh, next to them, and sits right back down again saying nothing. Good laugh. 
And that is most of the episode. Yeah, uh, I, I, Sheldon, they do go through some of his journals and they make jokes about how none of it is particularly revelatory. But that never really goes anywhere, does it? Did I miss something? I feel like it just kind of I petered out, and I don't know. The the focus shifted to the, the, the penny jealousy, and I feel like the notebook thing kind of just went nowhere. No, the notebook thing, I think, was just uh, an excuse to introduce Alex. Yeah, which, uh, that's I want Sheldon, like, even just for the episode, even just to, like, wrap it up nicely, for the, him to have at least thought he was on to something brilliant that he needed to pursue... Uh, it, it feels like an unfinished joke. Ah, so, I mean, but that's it. And I guess, yeah, that's how this one made me feel, is it left me yearning for, for more jokes that were started and never actually quite finished. So, yeah, there you go. Season 6, Episode 3. Kyle, uh, want to get nitpicky? Anything in particular here that stood out that tickled your fancy or made, made your gears grind? I mean, I did. I did audibly laugh at the part where Raj just gets up and moves to the next table and sits down. Like, if he had left, that would have been weird enough. But the, the fact that his solution to the awkwardness is just to move to a, one table over and then yeah. stare plaintively at them. That was, you know, I I can't remember that actor's name, but I really, you know, he. I really think he delivers better physical comedy than a lot of the other characters on this show. Yeah, uh, it was great. And it's like such a silly, uh, well, maybe it's not silly, like one standout thing to focus on on the episode, but it is really funny. Like it's, if, if that's the one most funny thing that happens this season, uh, I mean, that will still be terrible, but like, at least it was a, le- a legitimately good laugh. Like you said, he's, he is great at the physical comedy and yeah, the way that he, uh, goes to the immediately adjacent table, like he's like, I cannot speak. But I need to silently convey that I cannot interact. I want to. I need to be here in the periphery. But I, I just cannot make this work right now. Please, yes. please look into my sad eyes if I am a puppy from outside the window. Yes. Uh, poor that boy. and the other, the other joke that uh, really made me laugh. Um, I mean, I guess it's not even a joke. I think it's just like a good line for me anyway was uh, – Wallowitz is like, okay, Bernadette, I'm feeling a little trapped up here, so here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to my house and find my model rocket. It's, you know, it's on my nightstand or wherever. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay. It's like, okay, now here's what you do. You're going to bring that to your house. You're going to build a version of that that's 40 feet high, fill it with rocket fuel, and come get me. That's pretty good, yeah. He, uh... It's very uh, encouraging in his madness, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I want more to happen with Wallowitz. This was a fun thing for him to do. It just didn't sustain a whole episode. I don't know. I feel like, yeah, because th- there were two or three different plot threads to different extents, and I feel like all of them just kind of got me started, not quite there, like... Well, penny. obviously, that's the point with the penny plot. Is I thought, um, I, like I said, I'm not sure it's going to have. It's a little weird of a way to advance their relationship. But basically, last episode, as you pointed out, like the whole thing is: is Penny actually going to dump Leonard because she doesn't really feel any strong sexual attraction to him anymore? In this episode, that comes back purely through jealousy. But that felt like the writers trying to be like, okay. 
We still have to continue to ship these two characters, so we need to do something. We need to introduce some plausible reason why she doesn't dump him and go and date someone hotter. And, you know, their best, least nihilistic solution to that problem, I guess, was, well, what if there's a new pretty woman who, you know, is reasonably smart and Leonard can be relatively funny and clever around, and that makes Penny feel threatened enough to continue to hold on to him. Yeah, it is very convenient. I hope that she does become more of a character, because right now she is not much more than a plot element. Like, other than being hardworking and smart, she really doesn't have any of her own character traits yet. So I hope she gets fleshed out more. Yeah. And pretty, don't forget pretty. And, and I, pretty. Only, I only bring that up because the characters bring it up in what feels like, of all of the things in this, like, when I watched this, it, it, I knew it wasn't going to go anywhere really, like, creepy or icky just because uh, as fucked up as the Big Bang Theory can be sometimes, it generally isn't fucked up in that particular way. Mm-hmm. But I was like, this is a very pre-Me Too plot situation in general like this is a sitcom plot that i bet was really common in a lot of different sitcoms like right up until 2016 2017 which is like oh no the male boss has just hired a female subordinate who is really really attractive will they end up sleeping together is anyone else threatened by the amount of time they're spending together and the amount of implicit power that he holds over her you know should we all be worried about this thing it's it's like a whole thing. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a I guarantee you this type of episode I don't think would gets made anymore. I don't know, it's kind of a bummer that Jim Parsons didn't get cast as uh Mr. Gray in that Fifty Shades of Grey movie series. I think that really would have been a good <laughs> cross promotional weird thing. To see the two different sides of Sheldon. And this could have been an excellent, yeah, cross-branding episode. But you're right, they didn't go there. It was it was a time when you still could do that, but it's probably better looking back now that they didn't. But you reminded me of another uh, moment that I did think was legitimately funny, which is Amy initially suspects that the, the intern is trying to fuck Sheldon. Uh, they do sneak into Sheldon's office to, to try to confront the situation, and nobody's in there. Uh, but Amy decides at that point to start rubbing uh, a bunch of stuff uh, in his office under her armpits to, to get her, her musk all over it, uh, by which uh, Penny is disgusted, rightly so. Amy is like, hey, you know, don't knock it till you try it. I did the same thing with all the stuff at your apartment, and then we became best friends like a week later, which uh, was, I thought, both actually funny and also uh, one of those things that is kind of actually upsetting <laughs> it's like that's no longer like cute behavior that's like you snuck in at some point and violated me to manipulate me but hey it did work out it did work out pretty good amy so <laughs> yeah i like this i think i've talked about this before but amy's amy doesn't actually treat uh penny that differently than wallowitz treated penny it's just that she's a girl and a general and a generally less sexual character so it's just now it's it's totally non-threatening yeah she's still totally creepy but you're right it's just a little bit of a twist on it to get away with it but yeah i don't know anything else you feeling about this one i feel like i my, my high points i've gone over nothing about this episode really annoyed me or made me upset how do how do you feel anything else I mean, I don't want to give the game away, but, like, I was just curious who the actress was, 
um, who played the assistant. Alex? And so, I, yes. And so I looked her up and she hadn't been, because I thought I recognized her from something. I don't think she's actually been in anything that I've seen, but it like mentions in her bio that this is one of, it's like, she's most famous for playing this person, this person, and this person on the Big Bang Theory, which makes me think she's going to have a recurring role, which is weird because nothing about the way she's introduced here made me think that we would ever see her again. No. Yeah. She is like a placeholder. She is just a human uh, like you said, that is a convenient way of uh, inciting uh, Penny's jealousy so they can get her realistically invested in Leonard again. Because which... I think they've even they've even done episodes where Sheldon takes on like an assistant before, if I remember correctly. Wasn't there a whole episode where Sheldon ends up with someone who's like has an assistant who's like maximizing his productivity, but it gets weird because she's obsessive and controlling around about him? Uh, yeah, probably something like that. It's uh, this is not the first time I think where where Sheldon has decided he he wants somebody he can boss around. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see if she gets any sort of interesting quirks or anything other than being yes pretty and an assistant. So there we go. Uh, well, with that, how about we move on to the things that we actually enjoy? Hell uh, yeah. I've got uh, two. I'm going to do one super quick and then one uh, a little bit longer. But uh, should I go or do you want to go first, Kyle? You can go ahead and go first. All right. Well, my super quick one uh, is going to be super quick because uh, everyone's already watching it and it doesn't need any promotion and I don't want to spoil anything about it. Uh, but yeah, go see uh, everything everywhere. All God damn it. What? Are you going to recommend it? I was going to recommend well, then it. Well, you can do the long one. I'm done with that. So, and then No, cuz you just said that, that we don't need to talk about it anymore and you're probably right. It speaks for itself. Well, it's a you, better you movie. You go for it. Look, look we're be- we're trading the torch. It is now your recommendation. I queued it up, but please let us let us talk a little bit about this and why it's so great. But you you take over. Later. Uh, what's your other thing? I oh, may all right, be, we'll get back I to may, it. I may still be able to think of something else. Okay, I'm saying like Please go ahead and talk about it if you like. But um, the other one uh, that I'll talk more about because I'd never heard of it until uh, I saw it was going to be at the local theater here, which is a, a mid-80s Jim Jarmusch movie called Down by Law. And uh, Jim Jarmusch is he's a wacky indie director. His movies, I think, are pretty well critically acclaimed, but none of them have been, I think, massive successes He's, he's liked as a just a lovable indie weirdo. And I've liked all of his movies, save for one, which is... Uh, I don't know if he's done one since this, so I guess it might be his most recent. But, oh, I am blanking on the name now. But it's it's the most, it's the zombie one. Yeah, with uh, Bill The Murray. Dead Don't Die. I, I did, did not like that one. But the one that I saw the other night was, yeah, this one from, I think, maybe 1986 called Down by Law, which uh, is about three scuzz bags, three different middle-aged white male dirtbag types who all through various circumstances are uh, jailed and apparently convicted of crimes that they uh, did not commit. And I think it, it doesn't really focus on their escape from jail or anything. It just does... A quick setup of who each of them are, how they come to meet in the jail, and the movie really focuses on their interactions and what it's like when you've got 
these these three people who all for various reasons are not good people but i think uh pretty cleverly through the the plot device of all of them being nonetheless unjustly imprisoned you you root for them like for instance uh tom waits his character is a, like a radio dj who uh is an alcoholic and can't hold a job because he keeps getting in scuffed with management and won't ever apologize or do anything and so the movie starts with like his girlfriend throwing him out for being a piece of shit uh and then his his friend he ends up meeting is uh, a low-level pimp who's trying to make his way up in the world but uh in in getting a hot tip ends up getting busted for a totally unrelated crime and then they end up meeting a relatively i mean very young they must have ever seen him uh roberto benini who apparently was always just a weird little elfish man of uh, the key a button and yeah it's uh can't get any more into it without getting into more substantive stuff but it's just a really fun way of seeing three people that i think you wouldn't otherwise want to like or care about in a movie and uh just kind of watch how they have to come together and the extent to which they're even willing to work together or trust each other uh, is a really, really interesting time. And uh, all the music, uh, I think all of it, is done by Tom Waits. Most of it, if not all of it. So yeah, Down by Law. Watch it somewhere. Who knows? Kyle, your turn. What are you going to do? Uh, I'll, I'll, well, I'll talk about something else, but I will say that everything, everywhere, all at once is like a phenomenal phenomenal film and i highly recommend it and everyone in it is great it's it despite being uh like master class and like weird absurdist imagery and everything like that like the principal characters i really feel like are what keep the whole thing grounded so like you know uh, they're not of course they're not going to but they should probably give michelle yao an oscar for this movie so yeah yeah yeah, it's uh, it really is fantastic. It's one of those things where like I, I I try not to talk too encouragingly about it because there's that effect where you know the more pressure and the higher the expectations, I think the either the less likely people will enjoy it or be likely to see it. But I don't know. I've only heard unanimous warm receptions from everyone I've known who's seen it. And I, I also give it a hearty recommendation, but I mean, I, I think I like cried nonstop through the last 30 minutes of the movie. Admittedly, it was the day after tax season and I was coming down off a lot of stress and pressure, but uh, it's also just really good. And then I, ironically, the movie began in a fucking IRS office. I was like, no, I've been tricked. Yeah, no, I, I too cried as did the person I was with. So expect that you suckers. If you go out and see it, you better be, prepared for feelings all right so but i will talk about something else um so i also saw this week um this is a weird i never know like how to feel about recommending uh recommending like theater because it's like you know who the fuck has time and money and like you know the group of people who will ever have a chance to see this thing live is relatively small but then again the number of people who listen to this show and actually take recommendations based off of it is probably two. So I don't know why I'm worried about <laughs> it. But they're but, counting uh, on us so much more than anything else. 
here in Los Angeles, I got a chance to see the touring production company of Hades Town. Hades Town is a musical. It is not, you know, if you hear that, you're immediately like, no, thank you. I will say it is at least not like the typical musical sound. It is not like a a either a rock opera or like a a pop musical where everything's like super, you know, well, poppy. You know, it is a uh it is a musical basic I I don't know cuz I don't even know enough about musical styles to like be sure that I can pin down exactly what the musical style is but i think i would i would call it like uh maybe like uh folk or uh uh, yeah folk seems like the safest choice maybe like slightly like ragtime or jazz oriented but folk probably seems like the closest i think the musician who wrote the music anais mitchell is a uh, or anais mitchell is a uh folk musician and basically so uh, I'm just gonna stick with that. It's a it's a folk retelling of the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. So if you don't if you don't know the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, it's a famous myth. Orpheus is musician in ancient Greece who's in love who marries a woman named Eurydice. She dies, and Orpheus goes into the underworld and he plays a song that's so beautiful that it convinces. Persephone to convince Hades to give her back and he basically he 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 sets some conditions on that it ends up tragically but it's sort of just like you know a sort of famous beautiful slash tragic uh I can't believe that I'm worried about spoiling this (laughs) ancient myth but just on the off chance that you don't know how it ends I don't want to ruin it for you uh because it is kind of it is a compelling sort of sad myth but anyway so this is a like i said this is a folk music retelling uh so this is a small set of performers there are maybe 10 or 12 of them the main the main musical instrument is a trombone which let me tell you mm, that mm, trombone mm, player has a good gig he gets to like wail on that trombone and he gets to you know get out in the middle of the stage sometimes and you know hammer on that thing and people dance around him he was obviously having a fun gig and then um you know the the setting is it's still an it's an ancient mythic setting, but they're obvious. They're you know they reskin it so that it's probably it feels most like it's set maybe uh, during the Great Depression or maybe during like the the Gilded Age. Like basically, Hades is still the Greek god of the underworld, but he is also this this uh, this sort of capitalist metaphor. He runs this like Hades, like the underworld in this mo- Hades, the titular Hades town is like a, you know, sort of a a mining encampment where the dead work sort of like incredibly long hours for no discernible material gain and Hades is urbanizing everything. Meanwhile, the people who live in the upper world, they sort of, you know, they're free, but they're also starving because they're all broke and because the seasons are fucked up because at the start of the musical, Hades and 
uh, Persephone, which I'm not going to get into that myth, but if you know anything about them, like, basically the seasons working correctly is dependent on them having a good relationship. And so at the start of the play, they're not having a good relationship, and so the seasons are not functioning as they should. So I guess in addition to being a capitalist metaphor, it's also a climate change metaphor, and not all tracks. It's beautiful music. I had listened to the entire album before. I've listened to the original like concept album, and then I've listened to the original Broadway cast recording, and I thought they were both fine. It's so much better live. You know, everybody you know, at least in the professional production, delivers, like, fucking, you know, tear-streaking, soul-bearing performances that you're just like, oh, holy shit, this is really... It's, you know, it's classical art. It's you go in, you sit, the the lights go down, and you have, like, this transcendent emotional experience rooted in this monomyth. So I don't really know... Uh, what more to say about it than that? You can just, you know, you can hate, like I said, you can go on YouTube or Spotify and you can listen to the Hades Town music and that will give you some sense of what you're in for. But it really is, it was like the first time in a very long time that I've actually sat through, uh, sat through a professional, like live theatrical production of anything. And it was just really intense and good. And I would recommend it if you somehow get the chance. And that's in L.A. right now still for next weeks or months or how how likely is it that anyone can still go see this thing? I mean, I was able to get tickets and like not that long ago, so I assume there's still seats available. It's at the Amundsen Theater in L.A., I think, for at least the next month or so. And then it's a touring production, so you can just go online and check the touring dates for Hadestown. Or you can, if you live closer to New York, you'd always just go see it in New York on Broadway. Is it anything like the uh, game Hades where everyone is kind of sexy and kind of sad and you get to see uh, uh, the main character is Agrius, so I don't think actually exists in the mythology, get various boons throughout the course. Yeah, of the you know, I did game. think it, it was kind of a weird non sequitur in the middle of the musical when uh, Zagreus showed up with like a guitar and is like, fuck you, dad, and bashed him in the face with it. But, you know, it was still cool. Yeah, I mean, that would be cool. <laughs> that would be... <laughs> Hades and Persephone, obviously, they figure pretty heavily in it. Uh, Hades is... I'm, I don't know how to say this without... I mean, I'm just gonna... He, he, has a, he has a deep black guy voice, and it's very good. He sounds like Keith David. I think mm-hmm. he was... He, he, he really, like... I can't, I can't make my voice hit the register that he hits, and there's something incredibly satisfying to hearing, like, the king of the underworld speak in that particular register. So when Hades is, like, talking, is, like, explaining to Eurydice that, like, you know, life sucks here on the surface. Come down and spend some time with me. You know, I'll give you a job, and maybe you can run some errands for me, and everything will work out all right. Like, me saying it doesn't make any sense. That dude saying it, you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I should die. <laughs> and <laughs> This guy's making a lot of sense. That feels like a pretty natural place to start wrapping up where we're we're talking about how, yes, it's some beautiful voices. It does sound satisfying being encouraged to die. That's that's what we really get out of this. That's what we want. The message we want to send to everybody else. Ah, I don't know. Any any other parting words of of wisdom? We, we saw plot threads that didn't really go anywhere and then 
We talked about things we actually did enjoy. Are you going to go enjoy anything after this? Do you have a bright future ahead of you, Kyle? Uh, don't, don't. Yeah. We're going to get, Here, I'll jump ahead of you. I'm just going to play more Elden Ring. All right. I, I started saying I, I did the market thing and now I'm power drunk and have to just keep on going throughout this monumental adventure. So that's, that's all my life is for right now. I will, I will say this about Elden Ring. Nothing in that game really freaked me like you know it's a it's a dark fantasy world right and so you you're you encounter occasional like eldritch horror monsters and things like that who try to in addition to all like the the knights and dark creatures and things like that you know there are goose ghosts and gremulins and anything you might imagine and from like a D campaign none of that was freaking me out or really like getting to me even the there are some fucking giant hands that like crawl around like spiders and and you know (sighs) that's not fun fighting a giant hand that moves kind of like an arachnid is a bad time but i was still like you know what i can handle this i was fine until i found the cave and i realized it was actually an anthill filled with giant ants and i was in the belly of a cave full of giant ants that really kind of broke something inside me i was not prepared for that you have not like just contemplating the existential horror of a world where like ants are the size of like you know large horses or things like that that is a bad time i don't like it nope it's not good to me it's like that was the first time in the game where I was like, you know, this is this is truly disturbing. It's like I can't believe they had the balls to put this in here because, you know, because they're ants, and you can see what's even more horrifying is it's not like like some ant creatures in the game like they like zombies and things they like swarm you, but these are ants, so they're just kind of chilling there, being gigantic and like clinging to the ceiling, and they're not gonna fuck with you until you get close enough. And once they think you're threatening their hive, then there's a giant ant swarm. Ah! Well, now that I'm, you know, dreading the you thing have that, that I in your I was future. Enjoy after this, I feel like I've gotten the full Big Bang Theory experience now. So, oh, I'm gonna end on this spooky note. Thinking of all the scurrying creatures is gonna be really composing the world that I exist in. Thank you for that. My pleasure. <laughs>